Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This is your host, Dan Hansen. This show is for entertainment purposes only and extremely not safe for work. This particular episode is on Google and their 2021 2Q. Uh, so let's see. So this is perhaps the first time I've done an episode where I've actually had a huge position in the stock, uh, almost a, almost a third, I believe, in Google, which is going to become frightening as this episode goes on. Uh, so number one, do I understand the business? Yes and no. And therein lies the problem. Uh, so I understand their advertising section. So that's you know, ads on Google search, ads on YouTube, ads uh, people put on their websites and things through Google. That's fairly easy to understand. Uh, companies pay every time you click on one of those ads and Google gets a cut. That's simple. And that's most of their revenue and, and, and all of their profit. But uh, Google Cloud is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the revenue and more importantly, a bigger and bigger part of their expenditures. And I believe last year I said I was going to read some books on cloud and well, I never did, but that didn't stop me from buying a shitload of Google and a shitload of Amazon. And uh, that's a problem because I don't really understand why someone, why a business would choose AWS over Azure over Google Cloud. And that's not good. You, you really need to understand um, a company's value proposition if you're going to own it. So that's neglectful of me. Now, like I said, it's still a relatively small part of their business, but it is getting bigger and bigger. And Google spends a shit ton of money on cloud, on their data centers and on cloud. Uh, and most of that, the, most of those capital expenditures don't show up on the income statement. Now, perhaps we'll get to that, get to that later. Uh, so number two, is the company going to be, okay, so do I understand the business? Eh, yes or no. Uh, number two, is the company going to be around in 10 or 20 years? Um, 10 for sure. 20, that one's a little bit more difficult to answer. I think we're in the infant stage of the internet still. And if you're telling me that in 20 years, people are still typing onto their screen and getting search results from Google, I'd probably be kind of surprised a better way hasn't been figured out by then. It just doesn't seem very sci-fi to me. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So uh, that's the big issue with Google. And they know that. They know that their core business could become obsolete in the next 20 years. And so that's why they're always trying to find new things, like the other bets section. Um, I actually sold Google years ago, one, because I was tired of making money, but two, because I thought other bets was this huge cash drain. And I was right. Other bets has been a huge cash drain. It doesn't make any money for them. They lose billions every year on it. It's just... Google, the core business, makes so much money that, you know, worst case scenario, other bets is a tax you just pay, you know, two or three billion dollars every year. It's as part of doing business with Google. And best case scenario, one of those bets will actually take off. Uh, I just, eh, I just kind of doubt it. But anyway, uh, will they be around in 10 or 20 years? 10 for sure. 20? I'm not so sure. I think... The internet could look a lot different in 20 years, and I don't know if Google will be at the forefront of that. So yeah, we're not we're not not doing very good so far uh, for, with these first two questions. Uh, number three: Does the firm have any competitive advantages? Well, let's go through the list, shall we? 
Uh, one, high switching costs. Uh, no, there's, there's no switching costs to switching from Google to Bing, for example. Um, and I don't just mean because uh, everything is free. There's no switching costs from like a learning perspective. So using Excel for as an example, Excel costs money. Apple Numbers, Google Sheets, and OpenOffice are all free. Yet there are still high switching costs from switching to Excel to one from Excel to one of those because you have to learn so much new stuff. So you're better off just sticking with Excel, even though Excel costs uh, costs money. Those don't. So that's an example of high switching costs. Google is not like that at all. Google, there are no switching costs of switching from one search engine to the other. Um, is Google the low cost provider when it comes to search? Well, from the user's perspective, all search is free, so no. Um, and from the advertiser's perspective, Google isn't really the low cost provider. I don't think Google ads are cheaper than Bing ads, probably, probably the opposite. Um, you could say perhaps Google has better margins on their ads than their competitors because of their scale. Uh, fine, but I wouldn't really say that's Google's main advantage over its competitors. That's not really where I'd place it. Uh, number three, network effect. This one's tricky. This one may fool you. You may say, well, of course they have a network effect. The more people who use Google, the more advertisers want to advertise on Google. That's true, but that's only half of a network effect. So if you look at like Amazon or eBay or Etsy, that's a network effect because the more buyers that are on the platform, the more sellers want to be on the platform. The more sellers are on the platform, the more variety and everything. So the more buyers want to be on the platform. So it creates a flywheel effect. You don't get that with Google. The more people searching on Google, yes, the more people want to advertise on Google, but the more people advertising on Google, it's not like the more people want to search on Google. So there's no, there's no flywheel there, um, at least as far as I can see. Uh, but the fourth one, intangible assets, uh, brand. Yes, Google has, has, a, has a very valuable brand. And I want to mention Brand is probably the least understood of all the competitive advantages. I feel like it just gets thrown around. Like, oh, everyone knows Honda. Everyone knows uh, Sony. Just because people recognize the brand name doesn't mean that brand name actually has any value. If the brand name doesn't translate into sales numbers, either through pricing power or volume or both, then the brand name might as well not be worth anything because it's not affecting your cash flow. So therefore, it's not affecting your valuation. But in the case of Google, like very clearly, it's affecting your cash flows. I mean, and what you can tell is you can hold up Google versus Bing; they're exactly the same. Like, I mean, if you're looking for like some sort of, if you're in uh, college looking for some sort of like marketing social experiment to do or something, that's a pretty good one you could try. Is like. See if people can tell the difference between search results from Google and Bing. I can almost guarantee you they would not be able to. But 90% of people use Google. That's the brand. Like people don't Bing something, they Google something. That's the real estate Google has in people's brains. That's where the value comes from. And it's very important to understand where does your company derive its value from. So that way when that value does deteriorate, which it will over time, you can identify it early. Uh, let's move on to the latest uh, 10Q here. So I identified uh, five line items that I wanted to talk about. But before we actually get to that, I do want to mention, um, if you just looked at the last six months ending you know, 
June 2021 versus the six months ending June 2020, you have this insane revenue growth of like 48%. But I want you to realize, and this is obvious, but I just want to mention it, last year was a recession. Last year there was a pandemic. Uh, so whenever you're looking at the growth, you don't want to use a depressed year as your baseline. So I'd much rather go to like 2019 and look how the number compares to there. And it still comes out to about 25% a year growth, which is phenomenal, but it's not, you know, it's not 50. So just something to be aware of. And then as far as these uh, line items I was mentioning, two are on the balance sheet, three are on the income statement. Let's talk about the balance sheet ones first. Uh, so let's see. Uh, basically, their net cash position is reduced uh, by... 6 billion in taxes and about 10 billion in fees. So the, the 6 billion in taxes, that's from the Trump tax cuts. They repatriated money. Not really a huge concern. Um, but the next one is starting to be the 10 billion in fees. These are all from the European Union. And the thing about a $3 billion fine is whatever, you know, fine. They'll pay it. They're worth 1.8 trillion. They won't even notice. Okay. But if it starts to be reoccurring, it isn't a balance sheet issue anymore. It becomes an income state issue, meaning this is starting to affect your projected cash flows. So we're getting to the point where I think it may behoove you to start uh, baking in antitrust lawsuits into Google's future cash flows, which you know, that can add up. Uh, go, speaking of going to the uh, income statement, let me... Let me scroll. Where am I? Okay, so for the last six months, I have them starting with uh, $43 billion pre-tax income. I'd reduce that by $3 billion from currency effects. So currency effects, they're going to come out in the wash. Some year currency is going to help you. Some year currency is going to hurt you. I just neutralize them. I don't care about them. So I check it out. And then $7.5 billion in capital gains which is a very significant number, uh, the same thing. Some years your company is going to make money off its uh, investments. Some years it's going to lose money. I just take it out. I count the investments as a balance sheet uh, line item, not as an income, st income statement line item. Because so I want to get, again, to the core earnings here. So it leaves me with a 32 and a half uh, adjusted pre-tax. I'm using a 16% effective tax rate to get to an adjusted net income of $27.3 billion. And I take off another 1.2 having to do with accounting adjustments. So they extended the appreciable lives of network equipment or depreciable lives of their network equipment. And that uh, decreased depreciation and that increased their income by 1.2. So taking that out. So long story short, uh, $26 billion is my uh, final adjusted net income. That's off $36 billion. From their uh, from their actual 10k, so that's or 10q rather. That's significant. That's 10 billion off. Uh, that's uh, and let's go into a little quick some back of the envelope valuations here. So they have a current market cap of 1.8 trillion. I knock off 100 billion for their net cash position. You're left with an enterprise value of 1.7 trillion. And then I'm going to divide the 26 billion into that to get 65, and I'm going to divide that by two because that's only for six months. We're going to extrapolate that out to a year. So 65 divided by 2 becomes 32 and a half. Uh, this is kind of a bastardization multiple. It's not quite a future multiple because I'm not really projecting out to the future. I'm really just saying the last six months are going to be the same as the next six months, which is extremely unfair. 
uh, because you have Christmas coming up in the next six months and advertising is, of course, uh, seasonal. But anyway, long story short, like rough estimate, their multiple is in the low 30s. Google typically trades around there. Google typically trades in the low to mid 30s, upper 30s, somewhere in the 30s. So it's not exactly a screaming deal right now. But last year it was. Last year when you could buy it in the lower mid 20s, uh, you know, that was a screaming deal. And so I just want to close out the show by saying, to me, this is what investing is all about, is waiting for those screaming deals. Um, and they're going to happen. I've been investing for nine years. I've seen a lot of them. I haven't always swung. Uh, I've swung at Apple. Uh, then I sold it. But I swung again. I sold. I, I swung at Google a long time ago. Then I sold it. And I swung again last year. I've swung at Apple or Amazon. I've swung at Facebook. I've, I've, you know, I've had some fat pitches, uh, but I've also, you know, I've missed out on Microsoft. I knew enough about it to invest in it, but I never did. Um, Tesla in 2019, that one may surprise you. Uh, people love to shit on Tesla. And the only problem with Tesla is the valuation. But in 2019, you could buy the company for two or three times sales. And that's insane. If you can buy a company for two or three times sales that can't build its product fast enough. When you have people waiting in line to buy your product, putting thousands of dollars down just to get on a list to buy your product, and they can't even build the factories fast. They can't build the factories fast enough to build the cars fast enough. And you could have bought that company for two to three times sales. That was an amazing, uh, amazing pitch. So uh, they are out there. Um, you just have to have your eyes open and you know, be willing to swing at them when they come your way and be able to recognize them. And, and by the way, when I say an opportunity, you know, if you go on a game show and it's like door number one or door number two and you pick door number two and it's like, oh, that one had the goat, door number one had the car, missed opportunity. No, that isn't a missed opportunity. You just took a guess and you're wrong. What's a missed opportunity is when you know the car is behind door number one and you still pick door number two. That's a mistake. Uh, and I, I do want to do an episode where I talk about if you want to get extraordinary results, you don't really have to do anything brilliant. You don't have to really be that smart. You just have to not be really stupid. And um, I think the more intelligent you are, the harder it becomes not to make stupid mistakes, oddly enough. But anyway, uh, this has been Dan Hansen with yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. And uh, have a great day. Bye-bye.